ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Today, my guest is my good friend, Dino Hansen. We're going to be talking about the NBA um, from all different angles, not just specifically the New Orleans Pelicans, but we will address some of that as well. So stick with us uh, for another edition of Hard to Paint with me, David Grubb, and my guest, Dino Hansen. Here we are. The playoffs are getting to that point where every game now is pretty much a series decider. We have gotten to that point. Um, last night, we saw a great game. Two nights ago, we saw our first semifinal closeout with Miami finishing off Milwaukee in five games. It, first and foremost, we got to give all the credit in the world to Miami. And you and I talked about this from jump when this matchup <laughs> was announced, um, that Miami had the, the lineup makeup to match up with Milwaukee physically. But it wasn't just that this series. This was a out effort, out coached, <laughs> out adjusted, um, and outplayed. And it really exposed the weaker parts of this Milwaukee team and how they could be um, taken away. A lot of people put this on Giannis and wanted to say that Giannis did not live up to his billing. I tend to believe that Giannis is in need of a legitimate number two. Chris Middleton is not that person. He is not able to create for himself. He is not able, he didn't dominate a single game in this series. You can't be a legit number two and never leave your number, take your number one off the hook. I agree wholeheartedly. Let me start with this in that, and we talked about it and tweeted about it as well, is that even when Giannis was there, Dave, Milwaukee's offense was none. It was literally five guys on the perimeter passing the ball around to add. It, it, it was almost reflective and looked like a New Orleans Pelicans basketball game, if you will, in that there was never any movement whatsoever. Nobody cutting through the lane. Nobody setting an effective screen. Nobody slipping a screen. It was literally five guys, like an umbrella, hanging on the perimeter, which it and I, and I believe I tweeted it several times of how agitated I was watching Milwaukee play against Miami because then on the other end, and for as, as much credit has to be given to Miami for what they do on the defensive side of the ball and their toughness and them having an extension to coach Eric Spostra and Pat Riley, which we've talked about before, the culture, the tone set from the top all the way down to the players. Um, you go on the opposite end of the court and you see Miami making Milwaukee work. 
and they made the game easy for themselves. Like, literally, it was never a case that Miami, even even a few times where their offense maybe got a little stagnant, even at times when Milwaukee would take a lead, Miami never showed any semblance of concern with Milwaukee at any time because Miami literally from Tyler Hero to Bam Adebayo to Jimmy Buckets to Dragon to the Dragon uh, 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 to Jay Crowder. Take your pick. Every one of those guys knew exactly what they were trying to accomplish. Every one of those guys knew that they had to defend. They knew they had to rebound. They knew, let's get this ball and go as well. Let's put the pressure on Milwaukee. They didn't show one iota of concern nor fear whether Giannis, whether Giannis was on the court or whether he wasn't on the court. It did not matter. They did Scored not waver in one bit whatsoever. Scored From the Milwaukee it. standpoint, you are 100% correct when it comes to Giannis needing more help simply because of the fact that Chris Middleton was not that guy who said, let me lead us the rest of the way. Eric Bledsoe, uh, for as much as I love Kyle Korver and, and what he does coming off the bench for them and what he is as a person, he's a stand-up individual, they didn't have a player on that team that you literally felt like at any given time could take over. A lot of pressure has to be put on Coach Budenhoser as well, simply because of this. Dave, no adjustments were made in any single form nor fashion. This is the second year in a row you've had the best record in the NBA, and you got knocked out immediately, and you got outcoached a year ago by Nick Nurse. You got outcoached by Eric Spolster this season. There was no growth that I saw from Milwaukee from last year or in this particular series from game one to game two to game three to game four. There was nothing that Milwaukee showed me that they were dominant whatsoever. Nothing. I was surprised by the minutes restrictions that he had Giannis on and most of his team on playing no more than 34 minutes a night. Uh, in the postseason, which is incredibly rare. I mean, you saw guys last night in the Boston game, we'll get to that in a minute, playing 50 minutes, um, and they couldn't play Doing Giannis. what it takes. Doing what it takes to win. This it. is the time of the year. Yes, during the year, I absolutely believe that you don't overwork your players during the season because we know body-wise the damage that it does when you don't get allow guys to recover from night to night. We know this. In the postseason, you just got to suck it up. Because you don't have a choice here. This is, it's not, these are seven games where the other team knows what you're doing after game one. And everything is about, like you said, adjusting and putting wrinkles in where you didn't have a wrinkle before. But it's, you can't change your identity. But you have to put in just those little things from day to day. And you saw it. This has been Mike Boonholzer's history. He's only finished one season with an above 500 playoff record. He, in Atlanta, he went backwards three straight seasons before they fired him. Yes, the record has gotten better in Milwaukee over the past two seasons, but the postseason results have gotten worse. So mm-hmm. 
for him not to be on the clock, to him not to be in jeopardy here, would be very surprising to me because if I'm the Bucks, knowing that I'm going into next year and it's Giannis's last year on his deal, and I don't think Giannis is going to ask to be traded. I don't believe that's what he's going to do. But if you're going into his last year of his deal and you look at that roster, like you said, you can't count on Eric Bledsoe as your starting point guard. He's not a point guard, first and foremost. Eric Bledsoe should be best utilized as a six-man. He's never shot above 30% from three in the playoffs. You can't have that on the floor as your point guard. He's not effective at running a pick and roll. Can't do that. You can't utilize Kyle Korver properly because you can't run swings and screen sets when nobody is able to move. Chris Middleton doesn't set screens hard. When you play, and if you're playing five out because Giannis is the only one who can penetrate to the basket, then like you said, for a team like Miami, you've made defense – incredibly easy and Kobe used to talk about this he talked about it with the Rockets when you put James at the top of the circle and spread everybody else out around him that's the easiest thing in the world to defend and that's what Milwaukee did I don't have to work I don't have to move I don't have to do anything but let you take long range bad jump shots and we get the rebound and we capitalize off of your mistakes additionally Dave I am 6'5". If I'm playing against somebody that is six feet tall, where do you think I'm spending my day and night at on that basketball court? Block. I'm going to the block, and I am going to punish you all night long. It is inexcusable that Giannis spends most of his time on the perimeter. And I well, he had to in this series during the regular season. That wasn't the case, right? But this series, they had he they he had to play point guard because nobody could penetrate. And but they, you give yourself options, even if that means I'm Giannis and I bring the ball up the court, let my guys get out in front, call Eric, call Chris Middleton, whoever out. Once I cross midcourt, because we do it all the time, hand them off the hand ball, off, yep. and then I go and post up. Hand it off, have Middleton come up on a screen to give Giannis the time to go down to the block, let him sit yeah. on the rim, and pop back out, get it Dang. right on that low block, and there's not anybody in the – you know, already, we already know nobody scores in the paint better than Giannis. No one Dang. at the rim better than Giannis. So give him sets at the rim – to drop step and destroy people. You and I had just made that adjustment right here. <laughs> yep. So you've got 48 minutes and you can't figure that out and make that work. I'm sorry. That is ineffective coaching. And I'm not politicking for anybody to lose their job. I would never do such a thing. But when you look at the resume as everybody wants to go off and your productivity or lack thereof, your successes, what you were able to do or what you weren't able to do, it speaks volume. You never made any single adjustment whatsoever to put your players in a more effective position to be successful for team success. That never happened at all. Even with Brooke Lopez spending all of his time outside. So, hey, you mean, you know, and, and, I, and I was thinking about this. Since we're doing this every Thursday, I was like, you know what we should call Thursdays? High-low inside the paint. 
<laughs> okay. We're going to work on that. Yeah. That might, be, okay. that might be the move. Because, dang, I don't think guys understand the dynamics of what high-low in an offense does to your team. I'm not just at the top waiting for my wing guy to throw the ball in for the post or you go ahead, you go ahead and duck down, get right in the lane all the time. No, because there are times that as our wings are running, you're setting that low screen for them to run off to get an open shot. The effectiveness of high-low basketball and just engaging, and listen, I am not going to buy this nonsense that post guys and high-low offense doesn't work anymore. That's a lie. Garbage. It's a lie. It is pure D garbage with those who want to to make themselves seem more knowledgeable by utilizing analytics for everything all the time, as if analytics haven't always been a part of the game. When they talk about the destruction of post play, this is the very same fan base that just two seasons ago when you had the DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis lineup, high-low was precisely the attack that the Pelicans were utilizing. The thing that everybody said made Davis and Cousins so effective together was high-low basketball because DeMarcus could be on the block, could dominate his man on the post, and AD was free to do the things that he wants to do and shoot the jump shots from the higher part of the, of the, the block, from the, 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 the free throw line extended, from the elbow, from the, the mid-range between the, uh, the arc and the lane, the, that space on the, the, the baseline on both sides. DeMarcus allowed AD to get those shots as clean looks because he occupied that space in the post. Yeah. He was a legitimate threat in the post. If that's not the case, it doesn't work. So yeah, if you have high, if you play high low with somebody in the post and all they can do is turn and, and catch lobs, no, it's not going to be effective. But that's not on the game itself. That's not the evolution of the game. That's the lack of teaching and instruction for the players that you're not teaching post play, that these kids come in and you allow them to face up because they are not being coached hard because we are not teaching it's one thing to teach positionless basketball, but you're not teaching positionless basketball. You're teaching face-up basketball. And those are two very different things. Positionless basketball means I can sit you in the block and you are as comfortable as you are on the wing. But if you're only comfortable on the wing, you are not playing positionless basketball. You are playing perimeter basketball. And you are doing more harm than good to yourself and your teammates. I personally have always found it baffling when I've heard the term positionless basketball. First of all, and just like you said, it doesn't mean that I am only relegated to a certain part of the court or doing a certain thing. Positionless means that I am just as comfortable on the perimeter as I am going on the block and posting up. We want to get stuck on, even for example, and not to, change anything, but when I hear Anthony talks about, I don't want to play center. Well, if we're positionless, you're stuck on the title. You're stuck on the name and the word as opposed to understanding your level of effectiveness, as opposed to understanding this is where you have to be tonight in order to dominate for us. 
if I then in turn am playing against Denver tomorrow night and I've got the Joker on me who's much more he's slower he's not as fleet of foot if you will yeah I will tend to take him outside get him in a position where now I can take him off the dribble and utilize my skill sets to its advantage but to just say Let's abandon the post play altogether is foolish. Or leave and it to you the have, guard, which is what they're doing. I'll say, hey, you even have more guards that are posting up now than big men. It's a total re- reversal of roles. And prime example, Drew Holiday is one of the best post up guards in the league. Don't Russell. But I said it to say this, though. But, Dave, I understand what I'm saying. If tonight is my night where I know I can take Dane Lillard and put him on the post and be effective and score, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the whole purpose of the game of basketball to score the most points to win a game? Yes. So if that night is my night where I can dominate putting Trey Young on my tail or putting a smaller guard on my tail – I'm going to tell you to run a play to get me on the post where I can be most effective. Now, I also know that there's a point that a double team may come to help Trey Young on my back. So when I see that double team come, Dave, basketball common sense tells me, let me throw it back out on the perimeter to wherever that double team is coming from. I don't understand why everybody is making this game of basketball so difficult. Because to me, when I'm talking positions now, when I mean, when I say center, yes, it is a person, but at the same time, it is a responsibility. So anybody can have center responsibilities based depending on where they are on the floor. If the rotation of my offense moves you into the low post and it has my center by name out on uh, in a different spot, you are now you now on that block have center responsibilities. You are if I throw you the ball in the post, you're not going to be handling it there. What you're going to be doing is either posting up for a shot or you are looking to kick back out to reset. That's center responsibilities. All and, that is is an area of the court. Look at it. It's an area of the court. It doesn't necessarily mean that at six five and I got a six ten. All of a sudden, no. Dino doesn't become the center. I might be the center of attention. I might be the center on this painted area, but I am still a shooting guard. I am still at this particular point. I'm looking out at David Grubb. David Grubb is normally my post player. All of a sudden, Dave, you bring the joker out by you. You see I've got a a mismatch. Common sense tells you, Dino, Get down on the block and post Trey Young up and go to work. Two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to score or I'm going to get fouled and go to the free throw line. And he's going to have a position. He's going to be in a position where now he has three, four, five, six fouls, and that reduces his effectiveness as well. So I don't understand guys getting so locked in on saying, I don't want to play this position instead of just being a versatile basketball player as a whole. The game is adjust, adapt, and take advantage of other teams' weaknesses. And if that means, again, tonight, 
I know that you are more effective tonight. But here's the best part. Dave, even if I am on the post, one of the great offensive plays I used to run when I was coaching high school ball, I would put my guard on the post. You're a big, Dave. So as you dump it into my guard, as soon as you dump it in, what am I telling you to do? Dive, and I'm going to drop it off to you. It's basketball. And that's what blows my mind, Dave, is the fact that you can still be effective in any aspect of the game. But I think so many players and coaches have relegated themselves to only being one way or nothing. It's like if, if you would never in football concede a side of the field. You know, you would never just sit there and say, okay, we're not going over the middle of the field. We're just going to leave that and go. All we do is attack the hedges, the edges of the field. All we do is that over and over and over again continuously. What you're trying to do is take advantage of what is given to you by the defense. And some nights what's going to be given to you is a mid-range jump shot. Sometimes what's going to be given to you is the post. Sometimes what's going to be given to you is the drive. Sometimes it's going to be given to you is the three. But in any of those things – the job of the offense is to make the defense adjust. We talk about this every time about comfort. That's the whole thing for both sides. The defense is trying to make your offense uncomfortable. The offense is trying to make the defense extend itself in ways it's not supposed to, to have guys overreact to one side so that you create lanes in the other. I don't concede the middle area of the court because it's a less efficient shot if I have people who can make that shot. To me, that is that part of it. If Luka Doncic hits a mid-range jumper, which he does pretty regularly because he's not a great three-point shooter, why am I taking that away from him if he's confident in that shot? I want you to be confident in the things that you do well. So why would I take away that shot? When you're telling me that there are good and bad shots based on the location on the floor, what you are telling me is that you are assuming based on everybody's aggregate where I should be shooting from. Where I shoot from is inherent and is dependent on my level of skill. If I can do a pump fake, get me two dribbles in, and knock that jumper down with regularity, why is that worse than somebody missing and shooting 28% from three? And you can say, well, the math says this. But what you have to, again, I tell you this, you create runs by missing shots, and that is by taking shots because you feel like, well, this is the open shot. I'm supposed to take this this shot. Take your shot. Take your shot. There's a reason. Remember, coach used to always tell you this too. Every coach has said this. Boy, there's a reason you were open on that play. (laughs) There's a reason they let you stand there and you're wide open. Typically. Because they want you to shoot that shot. Day. You know, and, and I know we got to move forward on this because it's, it's almost like beating it's almost like beating the death out of the same scenarios because we see it with so many basketball teams and it just blows my mind. But Miami wasn't beating Milwaukee just because they spent all their time on the perimeter. Dave, they were attacking the paint. They were getting to the rim. They were shooting free throws. They were shooting the mid-range shots. They made the game easy, whereas you, on the other hand, are now in chase mode, and you feel like you got to start shooting threes from long range, and all that would do is benefit 
me from the Miami Heat side of things. So they, it, it behooves me that you don't utilize your skill sets of what works best on this particular night. And that's fine that we have a concept, that we have, this is our team makeup. But the worst thing you can be is so stuck in that that you don't adjust to the point that a team like Milwaukee goes down to a team like Miami because Miami has the mindset of, listen, whatever is working tonight, it's what we're going to keep using and doing over and over again until they stop it. And when Milwaukee does stop it, guess what? We got something else that we will do as well. But we're not going to be our own Achilles heel and relegate ourselves to doing nothing but shooting the ball. And for as, for as, for as well of a ball as a Tyler Hero may shoot, all right, for as well as a ball that Jay Crowder has also improved upon, the list, that can go down the list and so on and so forth, all right? We know with and, uh, with Bam out of bio, what is Bam going to do? I'm going to defend. I'm going to rebound. I'm going to dunk on you. I'm going to get to the free throw line. I'm going to put pressure on your back where you have to adjust to me now. I'm not going to make my defense, uh, I'm not going to make my offense all of a sudden be determined by your defense or lack thereof defense. And that's what hurt Milwaukee in this series. So you've got to do one or two things going forward now, Dave. You've got to decide, and no question, I will say this. Them letting Brogdon go was huge. That hurt them more than they ever could have imagined, all right? Because you also had somebody in Brogdon who could break down a defense, That's penetrate, and kick. Because George Hill is So a until – yeah. I just like you were going to say, George Hill is a streaky guy. He's a streaky shooter and so on and so forth. He's not going to break you down. That's not what his intent is. And for as and you would think Eric Bledsoe would be better at doing that because of, I'm, I'm saying better at breaking the defense down because you're not a three-point shooter. So common basketball knowledge would say, let me penetrate and kick. One thing I can do is make a layup. So if a team doesn't double-team me, well, I'll go ahead and make my layup, which we've seen him blow layups as well. But that being said, I'm still going to break – I'm still going to put the pressure on the defense to break them down and create lanes. So that means even if I'm in a position where I may miss a layup, if I know Chris Middleton is coming behind me, I can still dump it off to Chris. If somebody is slashing when I'm going to the hole, now what are you having to do, Dave? Your defense is having – to adjust. Right. And on the flip side of that, Miami did it to Milwaukee. And then you went on the other end of that, look, look at Jimmy Butler. He made one three in game five. One. Mm-hmm. Seven of Miami's threes came from two people, Jay Crowder and Tyler Harrow. They only made 11. They only mm-hmm. made 11. 11 out of 31. So it's not like that's the dominant shot for them. Right. So if that's not the dominant shot for them, what did they do well? They got to the free throw line. They took 26 free throw attempts. And all of the starters had at least every one of Miami starters in that game 
except for Duncan Robinson. The front court, Adebayo gets six free throws. Crowder gets four. Butler gets eight. So your main guys who are supposed to be in your front court, what are they doing? They're putting pressure on the opposing team's front court by getting to the rim. They are attacking the rim. That's why they are getting free throws. It's, it's a very simple proposition. And what do you do when you get to the line? You give your defense time to set up going the other way against a team that wants to run in Milwaukee. They are best when they are running. Miami took the run away from them. And the other part is when Milwaukee did make runs, like when they were down, when Milwaukee had Miami down 16, and then they <laughs> come back and close. What did they do? They walked them down. They didn't do anything crazy. They didn't try to get five points on one shot. They just kept making shots and kept the sorts. They didn't start jacking up threes from all over because analytics says this. Well, guess what I say as a basketball player? Let's do what we do and we will put them in positions that they can't recover from. At the end of the day, on this one day, Budenhoser, if he comes back, you have to see significant different. And, and, he, and see, here's the thing about it. You can't say see significant different. I can't say that significant difference from him early on because we know they're a really good regular season basketball team. Do you want to go through three years of this? Are you willing to risk the fact that come at the end of the contract for, uh, for, for Giannis that he's like, you know what? I'm out of here. There's been no growth. You haven't gotten me any other players who can be accommodating to me and who can literally add another level that we need here now. If you come back the same way, and I respect Giannis for not bailing, as Chuck puts it, don't be a chump, and staying in Milwaukee. I respect that, but I would hate to see this young guy become the Kevin Garnett of Milwaukee, if you will, so to speak, where he stayed there too long because management did not get him the necessary pieces that he needs. Listen, there is no player in the NBA that can do it by themselves. None. It's impossible. And those that think they can do it by themselves are at the bottom sitting at home during the playoffs. You need to have at minimum two guys that you can count on Every single night that's going to give it to you, that has a level of tenacity. And Milwaukee's players, they just weren't accommodating enough for Giannis. And you saw it. As crazy as it may sound, Milwaukee played better, not just because they won, but they played better without Giannis. So for some reason, I don't know why Coach Bud has it set in his mind that when Giannis is out there, the lack of ball movement has to stop because that's what it does. Well, they only when got Gian- they only won that one game and they closed it out, but they were they did not look good the next night because Middleton was no, they, awful in game five. What I'm saying is that they were moving when Giannis wasn't there. The ball also moved better. Now that whole isolation ball stuff, Dave, I'm not a fan of. I have never been a fan of, and I will never be a fan of, because I understand how effective you can be as a basketball team. Prime example, look at how Miami played the game. Every player on that team knows exactly who they are, Dave. Every player on that team contributed when they were on the bench, 
They were they, 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 they came in ready to go knowing what they did best. Iguodala, same situation. A seasoned veteran, he came in, he knows his role. And that's the essential thing. Guys buying into what their roles are for the big picture. And I like where uh, they caught Jimmy Buckets on the sideline talking a little smack to the camera, so to speak, if you will, saying he knew that he had a bunch of bad boys on his team. I loved it. But that's what they built. When your superstar is saying that the rest of the team gravitates to that and like, man, listen, if our number one guy believes in us, hell, let's go out here and do what we do. But again, Dave, the preparation, and it all began from the moment Jimmy Buckets got to Miami. The culture and the dynamic of that team changed and everybody was held accountable. I like Miami. Yeah, it, I still, it, it was augmented. I think that's what you mean more than change because the culture, Jimmy Butler found a home in that culture. The home that he couldn't find in Minnesota, the home that he couldn't find in Philadelphia. Find in Philadelphia. You needed yeah. somebody with the same temperament with as his is. And people think it's an asshole temperament. No, what it is is no. that man is – he truly believes that a championship is like oxygen for him. That's the way Jimmy Butler approaches it. He is not one of the five most talented players in the NBA, but there is nobody more competitive than Jimmy Butler. There's nobody more willing to be the on to be what team is. Jimmy Butler is what, you know what I like about Jimmy. If Drew, if Drew Holiday was what we really expected him to be, oh. he would be oh. Jimmy Butler. Am I lying? Oh. If, if that's what oh. you, if that's what that's what you're wa- wanting, right? The Same kind of player, right? Same kind of the player, right? The embodiment of what Jimmy Butler is. Oh my gosh, that would take Drew Holiday to a whole nother echelon. If he had that level, and I'm not saying Drew's not a competitor, but if he had that level of, what? I don't give a fuck to say it another way. That level of it. That that his edge, ability? It's, a, it's a certain edge that you have to have. And when Jimmy went down to Miami, like you said, that culture was set. Jimmy, as crazy as it may sound, and we've talked about this before, as players, as former players, we like structure. Structure is a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. And Jimmy gravitated to the culture and structure that was there in Miami with Eric Spostra and Pat Riley. It was like him coming home because that to him mentally says these guys are about winning, not pacifying guys. They're about winning. Absolutely. And so to transition that, let's go to last night with Boston and Toronto. Norman Powell comes up huge. Kyle Lowry is big. Uh, Toronto evens the series at three. This has been a coaching series, too. Nick Nurse made the adjustments down 2-0. They've thrown just about every type of defense possible at the Celtics. And I think what they have done to get back to this point is wear down a Boston team that really only goes seven deep and does not have size. The interesting thing about that is the way Boston jumped on them reminds you of when you're a kid and you play your dad 
and you get a few buckets going early on and you're and your and your mental and 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 your overall mindset you're like man I got it now I'm younger than him I'm faster than him uh I got the lead on him now then all of a sudden your dad decides let me go to work and go to my old school mentality of what we do let's make those necessary adjustments and then in the words of Rudy Tomjanovich, never underestimate the heart of a champion. And Kyle Lowry is showing people, despite the lack thereof that you get out of Gasol, the fact that Pascal Siakam really is not that next tier guy yet. He's not. He was, you know, it's it's easy to be that next guy up when you got a Kawhi Leonard, when you've got a LeBron James, if you will, when you got a Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and the KD and those guys of that ilk, it's easy for you to be the man, so to speak, if you will, because nobody's keying on you like talking about it. So you have greater opportunity. But Kyle Lowry is showing you Serge Ibaka has also stepped up. Serge Ibaka, if you, hey, Dave, have you noticed where Serge Ibaka has been getting his buckets from again? In the paint. He's going back to being OKC, Serge Ibaka. But wait, hold on. According to analytics, we can't do that. That doesn't win you basketball. But where's Tice game. getting his punishment in? Tice is around the rim, too. Hey, it's basketball, man. You so with that being Nick Nurse is, is Nick Nurse is showing you why he was selected coach of the year this season but he's also showing you the level of adjustments that he has made as well. Now, on the flip side, people can say, yeah, well, Boston's not making any shots like they were before. Well, you know why Boston isn't making any shots anymore? Because Toronto has recommitted themselves to defense again and making it much more difficult for them to get those good, clean looks, for them to get to the lane whenever they want to. Jason Tatum last night looked totally out of sorts. He looked like he did, like, as if he was just tired and hell-bent, if you will. That's because Toronto has refocused themselves into defense. When Norman Powell comes off the bench, okay, Fred Flan Fleet, even though he wasn't shooting the ball well last night, there is nothing replaceable for effort and defense. But he's he hit a couple a of – it was time for Van Vliet to hit. He hit a couple of big shots. when he, he, when he needed. And, it's, uh, and that was the thing is as up and down as Toronto was offensively, again, like you say you're trying to you, – if you establish an equilibrium defensively, you can weather your offense's ups and downs. And that's what Toronto mm-hmm. has done is they – you go and yeah, you take it into double overtime, and then Boston is a very talented offensive team, but their legs got heavy. Wow. You can see it; the legs got heavy for Boston down the stretch. Yep. Oh, and you could so see it; it was so apparent. And they, what a lot of people don't realize, the first thing to go is your legs. It affects your jump shot. It affects you getting up and down. Your conditioning. Your Every single thing that goes on, it also, at the end of the day, you know what it felt to more than anything else? This right here between your People, if y'all could see what me and David Grubb just did together at the exact same time, we're talking basketball. We're talking basketball. 
We literally pointed right in between our ears at the same time in that your mental aspect will fall off quicker than anything else when your legs are gone. And uh, I just think that's where Boston is now. Um, it's going to be tough for them to, to, to weather a game seven. I think Toronto moves on, but I'd have to give the edge to Miami in the conference final against Toronto. Again, you just, you have to take the tough, to me, I, the tougher team is going to be the one that wins. And in every series, that's what we've seen so far. The tougher team, the team that's willing to take the punch and punch back is the team that's winning right now in every series. The team that's the aggressor that takes the fight to the opposing team, the team who have not just one or two tough guys on their team, but a host of tough guys on their team led by a head coach who's also a tough guy. Now, if Miami plays Toronto, I would say it's definitely going to be a little bit more difficult compared to Boston simply because Toronto, having been there before, Toronto with Nick Nurse having made those adjustments, Toronto with the Kyle Lowry, who is a fantastic leader and shown to be an all-star. Because remember, up until they won that championship, maybe even the year before that, he was still questionable as could Kyle Lowry be that guy? Well, Kyle Lowry is showing you that he most certainly is that guy, man. He has stepped up in a huge way played with a lot of tenacity as well. So that would be a more competitive game, if you will. But for as good as Boston is, they're just not ready for Miami yet. They're just not. They, they just don't have enough. You can't go against Miami with seven guys. You can't do it because they're too deep, and they're deep at every position. Like They may not be great at every position. They're not great at every position. You know, this is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are clearly the two best players on this team. It's not, it's not even a question. You don't debate it. But man for man, down to 12, 13, 14, 15, I'll take Miami uh, against any team not named the Los Angeles Clippers for the depth. I mean, just, there's just they, they don't have a useless player. They don't have a guy who they don't expect to come in and contribute something. And every one of them who does, again, when you are given the freedom to play fearless basketball, that you're not looking over your shoulder, that you're not expecting that your mistakes will cost you your minutes, when you know that your coach is telling you, we're playing Miami basketball. Don't even worry. You're down 10. We're down 10. They got to keep doing what they're doing. They're I doing it. Yep. Do that. I know you can do this. And that is a level of confidence that very few teams get to. And whether or not Miami wins a championship, which I don't think that they will, to have that level this year, to be where nobody would have expected them to be except for them, it's clear that they are not surprised. That, that they, is are, they are doing – what they believed they could do. They are doing what they felt because of their toughness. They could do better than anybody and can compete. The aspect that you just alluded to again was the fact that you have total connectivity from everybody on that team. And the scary part is 
even those that you may have thought, well, I'm not sure if they can do anything, winning makes you think you can do everything and that buy-in has trickled its way down to the point that now they're like, well, hell, why can't we win this game now? Why can't we win this series? Why can't we win a championship? We have all the intangibles that are necessary to win a championship right here, not right, not next year, but right now, today. And you've never heard a team like Miami use this excuse. Well, it's going to take us a while to learn each other and adjust, and you're like, They've never wait, said that. Wait. I've never heard Miami Heat say that. I've never had an organization. Never. And they've been in their history since Pat Riley got there saying we were building. He's never said it. Never. He don't take To me, Dave, it's one of those, if you speak it and put it out there, your psyche will resonate with that and start thinking, well, if we lose this one, that's all right, because we're still building. We're still working towards. No. No. We need to win, and we want to win now. How do you relegate your own self to put that in your mind to say, well, if we lose the next five, you know, we'll slowly but surely gradually get back into things. Well, if you can't win these and not compete at a higher level, that plays into your psyche as well. You know, I, I, I know you saw the saying before, and I'm probably not getting it right at this particular moment, but whether you believe you're right or whether you believe you're wrong, you're right. Whatever it is that you think you are, that's what you are. It's, it's just that simple. So Toronto, Toronto going up against Miami would be a fantastic Eastern series because they're going to butt heads the adjustments by the coaches. That would also be very fun to watch as well, Dave. The adjustment by both of these fantastic coaches on not just wins and losses at the end of the game, but in-game situations, how you're closing out quarters, the way you're coming out to start the third quarter, that's what would be extremely a fun series. If Boston makes it, which I have a very tough time believing because Boston right now starting to question themselves if they have Up what it old. takes. And for them, yeah. for them to win this final game, it's going to take them to have everything work right for them. They can't have any adversity no, he can't go two for eleven in a game seven. He can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't happen. Um, Absolutely. Another series that the adjustments have been interesting, and at least now players are speaking about them too. Denver and the Clippers. Clippers. <laughs> Clippers are going to close this out. I don't. There's no adjustment to be made. The Clippers are a better team than Denver. That's not a question. Yeah. But Michael Porter Jr. comes out and essentially throws his coach under the bus. Under the bus. Yeah. There's, I understand what he's saying, but he did not handle that in a manner that a kid who is a rookie, who has shown no inclination of playing defense or rebounding the basketball, is going to stand there on a podium and say our offensive problems is that I'm not getting enough touches. You're not going to do that when you haven't committed yourself to every facet of the game and creating your own opportunities by crashing the boards on the offensive glass with your 6'10 behind or mm -hmm. 
by creating steals and get yourself in transition or by blocking a shot and getting yourself in transition, running the lanes. All those things are ways you get yourself buckets. If you're 6'10", you see Jokic does not post up a lot, stays at the high post area. Why don't you as a 6'10", small forward, go down to that block, post up your smaller man and try to get a shot? Why don't you try that? Maybe you won't be denied the basketball on the wing. Or maybe you set up a screen and roll. Because anytime somebody says the offense is not generated for me to get the ball, then that means that you ain't working hard enough or that the offense in and of itself, y'all ain't running it right. Because if the shot comes, everybody's supposed to be an option at some point in a play. Everybody's an option at some point when you run a play. It's impossible for me to think of using the phrase, well, I didn't get or I couldn't get any touches because it wasn't designed for me. So you mean to tell me not one time in the midst of an offensive possession other than you just, and you know why as well as I do, the reason why you don't get no touches, if you stand in the corner, you're like, hey, 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 I'm open. Or if you're but being you denied by Kawhi Leonard, or you're being denied by Paul George, then maybe your touches are going to decrease. That just might be part of a function of it, too, that you got all NBA defenders on the Clippers, on the perimeter, that might be able to keep you from getting a clean look. Maybe. Maybe that's it. And how about this? Even with those great defenders, how about just trying this just once? How about moving? How about moving? <laughs> how about calling your own and roll. How about calling up to over? Because he said, well, all Jamal Murray do, all they do is run pick and roll. Yeah, they do. They run a lot of pick and roll. But the whole point of that is to see one of them going downhill. And you can't tell me that Jokic is not one of the best passers in the league. We know he is. So why why would it behoove him, who is a guy who's shown he's not a selfish scorer? He doesn't want to have 40, 50 every night. He's going to pass right. it out. So if you move to the vacated spot, and make yourself available, he's shown he's going to find the open man. So I have a lot of issue in somebody putting it on Jokic and saying that he, the offense only runs through It's always run through him. It's always run through him. This is Let me the- add this one. Let me also add this one to you. Dave, why for some reason do people believe the only way you can set a screen is on the basketball? As if you can't set... <laughs> I wish y'all could see what Dave just did just now when I said that. Because Dave. The off ball screen. Oh. <laughs> screen away. Away. Not at the ball. You don't have to go to the ball. Go screen away. David, if I see the ball is on the left side of the court, and let's say I haven't gotten any touches in the last minute or two, which ain't going to happen because I'm going to get my touches. I haven't gotten a touch. I haven't gotten a touch without me having to cuss somebody out as I'm moving around. I'm going to say the ball's on the left side. Let me go and set an off-the-ball screen to that next player who is one pass away. Make that player roll. Make the defense adjust. Step out and ask for the ball. Or roll to the – I just – Dave, it is baffling me how they are complicating the game of basketball. And for him to say that, that lets me know where your lack thereof work ethic is. 
Because that to me would only say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I've got this great defender on me. Why not call for somebody to come set a pick for my man to open it up for me as well? Why not dive through the lane? But again, you have all these analytic guys, players who have bought into this nonsense, who have decided, let me just stand out here and hope the ball gets to my side. Well, I got news for you. I don't mind passing the ball either. But if you're not doing anything to make me give you the ball, well, hell, let me go ahead and do what I do then. And, and what do we ask of stars? That in those moments, if you say I'm going to be a star, if you want that responsibility, and that's clearly what he's saying, is that he wants the responsibility because he feels like he can get the bucket. Okay, you make yourself available. You make it so that nobody can deny you. Like you say, you available. You got to be physical with your defender too. This is the playoffs, and if you're being guarded by guys who are putting their hand, and every one of the Clippers is a guy who will put his hands on you, then you have to put your hands back. And you have to defend your position, and you have to secure your spot, no matter where you are. And you have that means, con- like you said, constant movement, looking for that one advantage. Did I get my shoulder slightly out inside of his so that I can go to the basket and somebody can toss me to pass and lead me to the rim? Did I get myself to a position where I'm on his inside and I can open myself up to receive a pass on my extended right hand towards the to the sideline and then be able to face up and score? What am I doing to make myself? Are you making yourself available? Are you making yourself available? Are you engaged in the game? Are you actively moving? And you can't Are tell you? me. And if you don't go to the coach and say these things, because if clearly, if you've said this to the coach after the game, which is where you should have said it first, is if you have a problem with the way the offense ran, you go talk to Mike Maloney and say, coach, and you haven't even looked at the film yet to know if your touches are caused by the way the offense was run or your lack of movement for you to sit there and say, it's one thing to say, we have to get more guys involved in the offense. However, we need to do that, which is what most players would have said in that situation. We got to get more guys scoring the ball. We can't let them focus on our two lead guys. Others of us have to find a way to get buckets as a team. That's where you end it. But when you say, You need to ask them. You need to ask coach about this. What you are saying is you have no responsibility in it. You are not taking ownership of the issue. And to me, that is a huge sign of immaturity. And if I'm playing with that guy, how are you going to be a leader in my locker room? When you, we know what your liabilities are. We know this already. And you have not addressed those. And yet you're going to complain about your buckets. Demand this thing. Do something to get this thing in your hand. I'm holding up my basketball. How can Go you always get, get a bucket? How can you always the get a basketball? Bucket? And Dave, guess what? One thing I know for a fact is that all of my teammates, when they shoot, every shot's not going to go in. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself active and go rebound. All right? It's, it, it's really just that simple, Dave. And I don't know why everybody wants to complicate this. And, and, and go with analytics for everything? No. I am going to make myself available. I'm going to be active. I'm going to move. I'm going to demand the basketball sometimes. Fine. You don't want to give it to me? Let me go up in here and rebound. And I guarantee you, when I pull this rebound down, I ain't kicking nothing out. I can have two or three on me. I'm, I'm head faking, and I'm going up, and I'm getting mine. Yep. It's just that simple. And that's what... The L.A. Clippers 
have shown to be, just like we're talking about with Miami, the Clippers will do whatever it takes and shows that air of toughness from top to bottom. It doesn't matter if it's Zubak. It doesn't matter if it's Morris. It doesn't matter who it is that's on that team. They all have bought into this air of toughness. And based upon the way we're talking, it's almost like you could expect to see Miami against the Clippers in the NBA Finals because when you look at the two tougher teams, the team that will bite into a brick or steel, it's those two teams. And as the season and as the, and as the playoffs go on and we get to the championship games, it comes down to toughness, are you, hands down. Are you metaphorically willing to die for that ball? On a possession, if the ball's loose, is you are you willing to die for it? And how many guys are are, are that kind of guy um, for each team? With with Denver, it's clear they don't have enough of those guys. The Clippers are a team built primarily of those guys. You went and found a collection of guys uh, who will do anything at this point in their careers to get a ring. And you see, also out of a Kawhi Leonard, you are now seeing what his leadership really looks like. We didn't really know in Toronto. We didn't kind of know. But with the Clippers, we're getting these up-close looks, particularly in the bubble of Kawhi and how he interacts with his teammates. That dude is not here to lose nothing. Kawhi is very, very serious about this task at hand. Like we're talking about Michael Porter Jr., look at the difference when Kawhi hasn't or not getting touches. Kawhi goes and gets the ball. He demands the ball. Or he'll tell everybody to get out of the way. Now, I'm not saying that Michael Porter Jr. has that aspect in him already. But to place blame and excuse yourself from why you didn't do what was supposed to be done, those are things that resonate not only with your coach, but your teammates as well. It's like, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. Now, wait, 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 slow up here a second. Because there are ways for you to get the ball, but my dude, just like you mentioned, Paul and Kawhi are two of the best defenders in the league. You're not doing anything to create space either. You're not helping me get you the ball. See, getting an offensive player the ball is not just me passing you the ball. It's also you getting space to have an alley for me to get you the ball. This is why the L cut, the V cut, the U and the these are all basic things for a talk. It's separation, and guys don't do them. They stand and stand and stand, and they're like, I, why am I not getting the ball? Well, you, you do this. give yourself the opportunity. You do this. It's a fraction of a second, and that's literally what the great players know. That's why LeBron can zip a pass by somebody's ear. It's that fraction of a second of awareness, and pl- that's they- what separates great players from good players. And here's the thing. For as great as Kawhi is on defense and Paul is on defense, you think that they're that great that if an offensive player moves, they aren't going to move either? Okay? That's the reason why I'm a great defender is because when you make a back cut or when you set an off-ball screen, I'm going to move also. And I know you, so whether I should tail you on that screen or whether I should fight (laughs) underneath that screen, I have studied you. That's why Kawhi Leonard is who he is, because he knows exactly how many steps you take from when you catch the ball to the rim. He knows your angles. He knows your tendencies. 
and that's why you ain't getting past the claw. And they have a coach again in Doc Rivers. We talk about coaching. Doc Rivers yes. is not coaching his team tight. He is not. He is. He set this up. Those eight games, and everybody said the Clippers don't look great in the bubble. He wasn't thinking about y'all. This man's mission has been the entire year, get these guys ready for the postseason. <laughs> Put them in situations that they will face in the postseason. And now here they are. That's it. Playing fearless basketball. That's, that's exactly what they're doing, Dave. And that's it, hands down. Hands right. down. So now we move to the Lakers and the Rockets. And they're playing game four tonight. I think the series is done now. I thought Houston had its opportunities, but they have blown them. And um, to me, the biggest thing has not just been James Harden, it's Russell Westbrook. And his still we see his inability to finish um, athletically. His three-point shooting is still terrible in this series. And it's not like the Lakers have played great basketball. It's that the Rockets – are not getting to the free throw line at their normal rate. Russ in particular, again, his free throws are down, way down. And then they're not creating opportunities for those second guys, which goes back to what we've talked about with Houston before, is when you build an offense like theirs, you take away individual decision-making for players, and now they only know how to play, stand in the corner. Yeah, and that's exactly – who they are now is what they have been, and there has been no adjustment. I also still believe that given Russell's capacity of how he plays the game, Russell still seems off to me. Mm -hmm. He just does. He layups and the effectiveness in which even his level of explosiveness is not there the way it normally has been and what we are accustomed to. And it has nothing to do with age. It has to do with, I still believe, there are symptoms that he is dealing with coming from this COVID. Secondly, as I understand, Dan Tony has kind of told him to, you know what? The mid-range game is your game. Start doing what you do best, which is mid-range. Yeah. That being said, I have to also agree in that the Lakers are just showing that they are the better team right now. And even though we talked during the last Lakers game when it was actually happening and right after that, Anthony did not and has not still left a mark or an imprint on the game. At least this last game, he finally did what we have been talking about at 6-10. If you're playing a positionless game of basketball – it shouldn't matter where you're getting your buckets. The most important thing is get your buckets. So if that means I'm going to be 18 in all night long and I wind up with 30, guess where I'm going to be all night long? Getting my 30. You stop me then. It's really not that difficult to figure out where the most effective aspects of your game is. Dave, you and I have been talking about this since we first met. Mm -hmm. AD's numbers were its best when he was going from inside to out every now and again. It was never him being outside and then maybe go in. It was never staying outside. No. Dude, you are 6'10". 
the tallest person on the Houston Rockets team that is defending you. No disrespect at all to P.J. Tucker because he gets in you. He's a very tough individual. But, dude, your outstretched forms alone at 6'10", you all of a sudden now are 10 feet tall when you jump. What's the problem here? Whoever it is, and you know I've never shied away from it, and you've heard me say it a thousand and one times. That is the reason why I have always loved and been a fan of Rajon Rondo. Because Rondo will look you off, and Rondo will tell you where to get that's going to be the most effective for you. What he's doing with Anthony, think about it, is exactly what he did with Anthony here in New Orleans. He is dictating the tone, the pace, and everything that goes on on that basketball court. It also has freed up LeBron from not having to bring the ball up the court all the time. So that being said, and, and then in addition, when you add to Rajon being able to make a jump shot every now and again, yeah, that's 21 points. Icing. He gives you 21. What can you say? That's icing on the cake because all you want him to do is run your team and direct. And he has – and his basketball IQ is through the roof. The guy – Playoff Rondo wasn't just the name that you get because you don't show up in the playoffs. You get that name because you show up in the playoffs. Let's and go anybody back. who's had a conversation with, with Rondo, if you've had any basketball conversation, whether you ask Rondo. him about a play after the game or you're asking him about something that happened whenever, there are few minds as quick and as detailed as Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo. I, I don't meet many people who just make you go, oh, okay. All right, you know, you know. Bruh, Rajon Rondos, we talked about we want Anthony to leave the court having an impact, right? And he doesn't. He doesn't leave a stamp on the game. Rajon doesn't have to score, but you feel the impact that he leaves on a basketball game, and you're seeing it. Let's you see know? The, I mean, here's the interesting number, Okay. So, you know, plus minus is not a perfect stat. We know this. Yeah. But only uh, of the entire Rockets team, of the entire Rockets team, only two players have a positive plus minus. Only two. P.J. Tucker had a plus 10 for the series, which you are not surprised at. Right? Actually, uh, and James Harden is a .3 positive. Okay? Those are the only two. (laughs) Now, we're not surprised to Tucker, but that shows you that James and Russ are not having the impact that they should have because they're both negatives. But now right. let's look at the Lakers, okay? Right. It's even more interesting. We talk about imprint on the series. The Lakers have four players who are, pl- who are net positives, plus minus, for this series. Anthony Davis is not one of them. No. He is a minus 2.3 for this series. LeBron is a plus 2.7. And that's the same disparity, basically, that we saw with the Lakers during the regular season, that when LeBron sat, and they're playing exact same minutes, basically 37.4 for LeBron, I think 37.6 for AD. So same minutes. There's no disparity there. Mm-hmm. And they're playing most of their minutes together. And yet, right. when LeBron leaves the floor – 80 struggles. The Lakers struggle. That's why I don't have the confidence in the Lakers in the next round. Mm-hmm. 
is because it's not like the yes. shooters around the Lakers have played great in this series. They have not. They got a bunch of points from Rondo in that last game. And a game before, they hit enough shots to win. But they've not been great from outside shooting in this series. No. It's just that LeBron has been superlative. LeBron has been the clear best player in this series. That has been enough for the Lakers. That ain't going to be enough against the Clippers. No way. It's, it's not enough. No way, Jose. Not going to happen. You're not going to get those looks that you get against Houston when you play the Clippers. You're not going to have the height advantage that you have when you play the Clippers. You're not going to be able to have – Rondo's not going to have a 21-point night against not Pat Bev because Pat Bev's not leaving him. That's the mm-hmm. thing. It's like I don't have to leave you because my guys can guard their man straight up. Houston can't do that. They have to help. And because of that, you, you also don't have anybody physical enough to put on LeBron to slow him down. And ADF for that one game, sure, he got on the block in game three. But in games one and two, it was still predominantly jump shots. It was still, you know, not a lot of blocks. We have not seen him block a lot of shots in this series. We've not seen him really put an imprint on the defensive end. But it's the Rockets can't generate anything because there's no there there's they've made no adjustment to what the Lakers have done and they won't because they are so staunch on their analytics being who they are and staying the way that they are and that's the thing I think a lot of people just miss Dave is the fact that that's great that you have a foundation and a semblance of what you want your team to be. But if it's not advantageous for your squad and it's not being effective, you have got to adjust. It's imperative. And the Rockets, they just haven't adjusted. And they're not going to adjust. They are literally, they are literally the epitome of we're going to go down Exactly as we are. And, and what bothers me is they had an opportunity here for, to take advantage of the Lakers. But the thing that they could have taken advantage of was, here's what we know about the Lakers. They are not fast side to side. Right? Right. The Lakers are not quick. Lateral ball. Lateral ball side with side. So what moves faster than the man? The oh. ball. And yet the Rockets are so dribble dependent. You have to, this is, again, when it comes down to being able to operate in a situation where there is no play, you have to be able to move without the ball and screen for other people to create avenues for them to not just shoot, but to drive to the basket when you are getting – when you're the Rockets and you're allowing the Lakers to – you know you've already conceded the rebound battle, you better get to the line. You better force the Lakers to reach and grab because you're going downhill against slower perimeter defenders. They have not used their quickness at all to put the Lakers in foul trouble, which is the thing that you should be doing. They should be sending Covington to the rim. They should be sending Tucker, even as a post-up man, Tucker, yes, he's king of the corner three, but even as a post-up man, you make the Lakers react. If you keep doing this five-out thing and you can't come in and offer your second unit and deal when the Lakers bring in more size, when you can't deal with that on the glass at all, 
Now you're conceding the rebound. You're conceding that you're not driving to the basket. Well, all you've got now is the three. You ain't getting free throws, and all you've got is the three. You're not going to win beating the Lakers, who are already a sound defensive team, and they're bigger than you by shooting 45 threes. It ain't going to happen. And they, especially given the fact that the Lakers have gotten nothing from Danny Green, which I felt like when he left San Antonio, he should have been done, quite frankly. All right? It was a perfect system for him in San Antonio. You've got nothing from Deion Waiters. You've got nothing, which I'm not surprised about, from J.R. Smith. All right? Kyle Kuzma showing up a little bit. Okay? Pope, a little bit. But, again, nothing of significance that's going to make you say, damn, we got a problem on our hand now. Nothing. So there's no reason why you shouldn't have been attacking and making that ball. If you told me, if you told me that it, that the that LeBron and AD were going to combine for fifty something, almost sixty points a game in the series, I say fine. That's what they're supposed to do. If you're the Rockets, you say that's great, cool. That's that's just about where they're supposed to be. But you ain't supposed to be get letting these other guys go off. You can't have Kuzma go seven for ten from the field. You can't have that. You cannot allow that to happen for Kyle Kuzma because you know Kyle Kuzma's a rhythm scorer. If he's not on, he ain't on. So your job is to keep him cold. Same with Rondo. The minute Rondo hits a shot, you know how this has been before you've seen it. Rondo is just as likely to go one for nine as he is to go – well, he's more likely to go one for nine. But when he's on, he won't miss nothing. If he hits two, his first two, he's shooting that night and he's going to make them. Yep. Again, just the overall adjustment and them not capitalizing on what their strength is is what has baffled me more than anything else. It's the fact that Houston isn't creating opportunity. And as I'm talking to you, of course, I'm watching the game. And again, you got five guys standing around the perimeter, jacking up shots. The Lakers go up 20 to 15 right now simply because you just refuse to move and you refuse to move the basketball. It's, 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 it's a game of adjustments. That's what it's about. It's a game of adjustments. It is always trying to get the other team to change what they want to do. And the Rockets, you know, first, what did, what did LeBron say after game one? It was their speed. It was their speed. It was their pace. The Rockets have not played with pace and speed these last two games. Not right. any. And how do you start generating those things? Why are they not putting more pressure on Lakers ball handlers? Why are you not forcing more guys to make decisions with the basketball? You're not asking any of the other players on that Lakers roster to make decisions with the basketball by putting it on the floor. You're not running people off the three-point line. You are not making anybody else uncomfortable. Every other role player on the Lakers is getting to do what they normally do without, do. Yep. without having to pay the price for failure. That's the thing. They can miss all these shots. Danny Green go one for five. You're not making him pay the price on the other end for going one yep. for five. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this, this is – Anthony Davis has one last chance. He's, he's blown this one. He's blown this one to prove that he's the man. Next year is going to be even more vital because that dude, Montrez Harrell, is is going to put his hands 
all over AD for however many games this goes. And unlike and unlike taking a step back and relaxing because he was a six man of the year award, now he's gonna prove to you why he was a six man of the year. And he he's hates AD take, already. We've seen it. He hates well, I know. Like, but he's gonna take this challenge even more so knowing this is going to elevate them to an NBA finals. And Dude. he's a free agent. And he's a free he agent. is salivating. He is salivating at the gums ready for this Lakers series against the Clippers. There, I think everybody on the Clippers squad is sitting back ready to go. It's like, man, let's get this over with so we can get to them boys in that purple and gold. For the That's first it. time ever, for the first time <laughs> ever, the Clippers legitimately have the right to say, we waiting on everybody else. <laughs> all those other teams that they've had over the years that were pretty good, none of them yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, and that's that is that's something that Kawhi has brought to them. Kawhi has that dude has edge. You want to act like he just quiet? Kawhi is that quiet dude. He's like that's like Snake Eyes from GI Joe. He's quiet, but he'll cut you. That dude will right. cut you in a minute. They know they have the edge, and they're ready to put it all on display. Um, you know, let's run. Oh, bet. You know, I, I was saying, yeah, that's it. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, let's run through some of these some coaching things. Um, a report came out today that Chauncey Billups is a candidate for the Indiana job. Uh, again, we see this. They've also said that they have some interest in Becky Hammond. But Chauncey's been throwing his name out for a while. He's also been connected to being a top assistant if Ty Lue gets a job. What do you think of Chauncey if he if he decides to make that transition? Well, if you remember, initially he was trying to get a front office position with mm-hmm. a few teams up front early on before throwing his name in the hat with this coaching realm right now. I believe Chauncey would be a fantastic coach because, again, he's somebody I think of in the realm of a Rajon Rondo when it comes to just being so smart and having an air of toughness. But the thing about it is, we don't really have anything to go off of, so to speak, other than what he did as a player and the way he breaks down some of the games when he is on the broadcast. But other than that, if you look at it from a basketball standpoint and what he was able to accomplish and the air of toughness, he should wind up being, and just his overall smarts, he should wind up being a very good coach if given the opportunity. Um, we saw Billy Donovan not re-signed by Oklahoma City. I think that's an indication that they're going to move Chris Paul, that they're going to go into a full rebuild now. Yeah. This was a surprise for them this year. Um, I get it. Billy Donovan don't want to go through that again. He didn't come to Oklahoma City to do a rebuild. But how many jobs that they really fit, fit Billy Donovan? It feels like he's got to take a step back franchise-wise, to kind of go forward. Because I don't see one of the the most – I don't see him getting an Indiana job. I don't see him getting a Pelicans job. I don't see him getting – you know, maybe he could get the Philly job because I don't think it's – you know, we've talked about it before. um, as but Or maybe the Chicago job or potentially – yeah, I mean, those are the two you'd look at, right? Chicago or Indy – or um, Philly. Philly. See, I was leaning – I was leaning more towards – Philadelphia because based upon Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if they can figure that out, 
you have a better run at possibly competing for a, a title. Not necessarily this season, depending upon what they do in the offseason, but you're closer then. No question, him and the front office mutually dissolving their partnership, just like everybody else caught me off guard. Because if you remember, Petrie was the one that brought him in there to replace Scott Stiles. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be good friends. So that let me know that, yes, you're right, that CP3 will definitely be on the move. And I guess what was hard for me to to accept and grasp was the fact that, man, OKC had a really, really good season. Could they beat a Clippers or could they beat the Lakers uh, come next season, all things being equal? If you add a piece here or there for OKC, I liked what OKC was putting together from a fundamentally sound standpoint. Uh, You know, they keep on wanting to hand the keys over to Shea Gilchrist, which I don't believe he's nowhere near ready because he showed a lot of shakiness here in this last playoff series in the bubble. But, yeah, it did catch me off guard. So if I see anybody – with the Billy Donovan, I definitely see him more with a veteran team as opposed to a rebuild team. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to do that. You, and nobody wants to go yeah. from um, – but uh, at the same time, essentially, again, since KD left, he hasn't been out of the first round. So we don't know how to assess Billy Donovan, too, at this point in his career. I don't know what you would say. I think you could say he's a competent coach. I'm not I, – I, I don't – I think he's been underrated. I think people were too – hard on him early in his career because I think he was put in a very difficult situation. Um, But we don't know what he truly is is because he hasn't had his own team. The team that he was, that he got when he got to Oklahoma city was a team that Mm -hmm. wasn't built for him. This team that he had this year was not a team that was built for him. It was a demand that made this team. So I'd like to see him with an opportunity to put his imprint on something and make it his own, um, which is what he has not had the opportunity to do yet. If we rate the jobs at this point, because we got five open, and I would say two that could be open, because of the, uh, the Houston job could become open, if because uh, it looks like Dan Tony yeah. is probably on the way out, and the Milwaukee job could <laughs> become open too. I wouldn't say it's not a, an opportunity for that. For right. that it's a possibility. So out of the jobs remaining, 76ers, Pacers, Pelicans, Bulls, Thunder, the ones that we know for sure, who has the best possible situation for a coach? Man, you know, that, that, that's tough to say to a degree, depending upon who they bring in, their style of play, and does it, and does it gel with the players that you have on your team? You know, it's still early and suspect to say, you know, I mean, yeah, we know Joel Embiid, if with the right coach, gets him to understand that he's a big and take advantage of it. But if you still allow Joel Embiid to be what he's been these past few seasons, it doesn't resonate or will it add to your team improvement. Uh, If you bring in a Chauncey Billups, he's younger. You don't know if he – has the coaching necessary acumen that's necessary to be in a position 
where he can lead that team as well. Uh, you know, for me, I'm going to leave Chauncey's name. I'm going to leave Sam Cassell name out of all those other teams because, quite frankly, I've been on the Sam Cassell boat for the past three seasons. And Given we're hearing, what he had to, yeah. We're hearing more Given, chatter about Sam. Given what he's had to endure as a player and the work ethic that he had to go through, his struggles going to a JUCO and then Florida State, given the fact that he played the role that he played in Houston, given the fact that he's been on the bench with Doc for so long, given the fact that he does bring an air of tenacity and toughness to a team and holding guys accountable, that's what the Pelicans need on this basketball team. Hands down. You don't need no more, but let's be buddy-buddy and friendly and nonsense. You need somebody who has a culture and let's look at it this way. Dang, everywhere Sam Cassell has been, he's won. He's got a player and a coach. You see what I'm saying? As a player and as a coach. That is significant for me when I look at my coaching carousel and what I want from my head coach coming in with the Pelicans. So, to me, on my tier, not just New Orleans, when it comes to rating the coaches – I was a Udoko fan when Udoko was in San Antonio. Now, it makes me wonder, why did he leave San Antonio to go to Philadelphia? Well, I did that in my article. In my article, I I mentioned that. It was because he got to be the – he was the lead assistant. He took – remember, he took over the lead assistant when Monty took over in in Phoenix. And and remember, he was on – Brett Brown was on the San Antonio staff with him um, when they when he first came over, it was Brett Brown, Boonholzer, and Adoka right. were all on the same Udoko. staff. Yeah, I remember that. But it, it just made me kind of pause a little bit the timing of when he chose to leave to go to a dysfunctional situation in Philadelphia. I understand you're the lead, but, you know, you've heard this big – because the way we were raised, not all money is good money. And just because you're the lead in Philly doesn't mean that it was going to be more beneficial to you, just as much as you're hearing Becky Hammond's name in the game right now, so to speak, if you will. That's also when it comes to Becky. I believe she's a phenomenal coach. I think Pop has been grooming her by coaching the summer league team as well as coaching the team to begin with with the playing games in the bubble early on and stuff like that, all right? Mm -hmm. But I think the organization that – and, again, you know, so many people just throw out names, but you have to understand and look at the logistics of that organization and are they a forward-thinking organization that would take a chance on – a female coach. Can Becky coach? Absolutely. Uh, I've had several conversations with her in the past. It's just a matter of is a front office and is there a team that is progressive in their thought process who is going to be able to have a voice that resonates amongst, because whether people want to accept it or not, as men and as athletes, we do have an ego with us. We do have an air, no matter what. She's more inclined to keep 
the ear of players in San Antonio, I believe, more so, because she's been in that culture for so long, has also championed her, as opposed to going to a whole different organization where there might not be as much. I just think if you should, if you go into it, it, I think it depends on the or I think if she goes into an organization with a history of losing, it's not going to help her because that's right. when people get petty and pick on things that have nothing to do with your job to start trying no. to cut you yeah. down. If you come from an yeah. organization where there's a history, like if she ended up with this, the Indiana job, I wouldn't worry about her in Indiana because in Indiana it's about ball. You know what I mean? Like they they got some rednecks and some hillbillies and all that stuff. Stupid people. Every fan base has its shit. Yeah. But they want to yeah. see the, the, the product. The heart, That's basketball. Right. But in America's heartland, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. You can't go into a situation that has a losing culture. Yeah. They're gonna, they will zero in and be like, we were losing and you took a chance on a woman. Cause that's how America. That's how men. You took a chance on a woman, and we still losing. Well, you had men coaches for twenty years, and you've been losing. It ain't her on her being a you woman. Still losing. Lose. It ain't because she's a woman. Exactly. You know, like nobody what? has won Sacramento for quite some time. It ain't gonna be because she's a woman that if she if she were Sacramento that she failed. But it would be you know, when you know this country, you know this country we live in. That's how they choose to make things on mm-hmm. their platform. And that's what they would do to her in New York if she became the Knicks head coach. Knicks oh, can't yeah. no matter who's been the head coach. But if Becky Hammond came up there, if they started off two and five, they say it's all her fault. This is why the Knicks yeah. suck. Time to get rid of her. She doesn't have control enough. She's not a good enough voice. She's not demonstrative. It'll and they will every- do the things with her that they do with black men in a different way. Because for her, yes. yeah, she doesn't have control. She's not stern. She doesn't have this. I tell you what, you must not have met Becky Hammond. Because if right. you think she's going to be walked over, no, not met her. No, no, no. You do not, not at all. compete at the level she competed at. You do not earn the respect of grown men in this game. But first of all, I will tell you, basketball is the most likely to sport to accept women because ballers respect ballers. That, Absolutely. That, that part helps. If you can, and, if you, and, if you a ball player, people respect you, men, women, whatever. Ball, and, and the fact that she too has won wherever she has been. And All right. in town, as a San Antonio Silver Star, she won there. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Wherever she's been, she has won. Okay, so yeah, you best believe that she can hold her own weight, if you will. You know, now speaking of that, this is one of the questions that we. Uh, posed out to our Twitter followers that if they had questions to ask us, go ahead and shoot the questions. So since we're talking coaches, one of the questions that were asked was pertaining to another assistant coach, such as a Fred Benson for the New Orleans Pelicans. What's his chances, do you think, of him getting an opportunity or name being thrown in a hat? Or if the new head coach comes in here in New Orleans, staying on the staff because of what he was able to do from a shooting perspective for Alonzo Ball. I'll let you go ahead, since I asked the question, I'll let you go ahead and answer that first, and then I'll piggyback off of it. You got to keep him. You got to keep Vincent. I think he's the one that you have to have um, because clearly he has a good relationship and a rapport with your stars. 
Um, and as a new coach, you need somebody at least who can speak their language. No matter who you are, somebody has to have an established relationship with those guys. And that helps the transition. It's not something – it's not like he's going to be moved up to first assistant anytime soon. Um, we saw that he's – you know, he struggled a bit as the defensive uh, coordinator, so to speak, while they were in Orlando. So I think he still has some learning to do. But it, as, as he does his job, I wouldn't make that change. I would do everything that I could to retain him because I don't want to mess with the confidence of two growing players that I've invested in. I want them to be comfortable. They have been uncomfortable in their surroundings as pros since they got here. The last thing they need is another year of instability um, around them completely. So keep, you better keep something that, that makes them feel familiar when they come back to that facility. And I think Fred Vincent on that staff, if you got to keep anybody, you better keep him. Absolutely agree with that 110% because you're going to need a level of go-between, so to speak, if you will, and connectivity with the head coach and understanding and knowing some tendencies and having a relationship with a Brandon Ingram, with a Lonzo Ball, if Lonzo is still here, with a Zion, more importantly. So, yeah, I agree with that, keeping a Fred Vincent. Other than that, you know, and, and, and let's be honest, he did do a – exceptional job helping Lonzo Ball get rid of that knuckleball horrible shot that he had. So he has a propensity and he's shown you that he has the, the, the knowledge and the work ethic to be able to help from a player development standpoint, improve them individually. And from a communication standpoint, oh, and from a communication standpoint is one thing to have the skill. To, to have the talent to be able to teach somebody how to do, but the communication yeah. process to have them trust you when you are asking mm -hmm. them to do something that they have never done. It's one thing to right. tell somebody, get up your shots. Hey, get up your shots. But to break somebody down and have them change something that they've been oh, doing yeah. their entire life requires trust. And that means you have to be a good communicator to create that level of trust. So nobody spent more time last year with Lonzo and B.I., than Fred Vincent. Absolutely. So if that's and, the guy who spent right. the most time with them, I want, unless I, I got somebody that I, he better be able to come in and, and just blow my socks off and blow that relationship up because I need that guy. Yeah. He, he was extremely effective at what he did uh, from a communication standpoint, from a knowledgeable standpoint, being able to adjust players' mechanics. Uh, and you're right. At the end of the day, building that and creating that trust level. Second question that we had was Drew Holiday's trade value. Every time we do this, we do this every year. And we first, we have to say how great Drew is. And, you know, and we, of course, then let's throw in so people don't, yes, it's, it's, it's a shame he doesn't make the all-defensive team. And this is blah, 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 blah. But let's be honest, Drew didn't have the greatest year playing defenses either now. He was up and down this year. He was up and down. There were nights exactly. when he was spectacular, and there were nights where he wasn't engaged. And the coaching exactly. staff would tell you the same. Um, yeah, but, but it doesn't matter in the long, in the grand scheme of things anyway, whether or not he made all defense, because you didn't make the playoffs. So who cares about your individual accolades if you didn't make the playoffs? That's all that matters at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, my thing with Drew is this. The ultimate question is not whether he has value. He does have value. We know this. Is his value to the Pelicans at this point worth it? 
And I don't think it is because what you are building towards will not include Drew Holiday. The destination you are trying to reach, when you get there, Drew Holiday will not be there. He will not because you're anticipating that that's going to be somewhere within the next three to four years you want to be in a position to be a real contender, a real contender, not just a playoff team, but a team that has a shot to make a a finals. Mm -hmm. Drew Holiday will be here in three, four years. If he is, you have failed as a team because you're automatic. You're paying now. You're paying a guy in his mid thirties twenty five plus million dollars when you should have been developing. And no value in this. No yeah, value. There's, there's none. There's none. He's not. He's not going to. He's not going to give you more than what he is right now. Drew is never going to be any better than what this is right now. And if yeah. I've already gotten the best possible Drew then why am I still trying to keep, hold on to him at this point? Because I've gotten, I've gotten everything that I can get. And it just, when we talked about Alvin, it hasn't worked. And it just hasn't. And mind you, that's not a knock on Drew Holiday in any shape, form, or fashion when we say you're not going to get any more out of him. Drew is who he is going to be the rest of the way. If anything, the decline is starting to happen going forward now. His free throw shooting was down. His three-point shooting was down this year. His overall efficiency was down offensively this year. He's never going to be a vocal guy. He's never going to be a tenacious individual where he is going to take over games anymore. That takeover game, Drew, was two years ago. That's past us now. He's no Even that was few and far between. Yeah, you know, so that's the direction that we are moving in. So it, 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 it becomes one of those crisp Paul numbers of who wants to handle that contract going forward. There, him being here, I would give it one more season. He comes in here. Depending upon what happens with free agency, that will determine my next move when it comes to Drew. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that you start the season next year because I don't I don't think they need to be you – know, there's nothing on the market this year that I think makes the Pelicans – things that people are already willing better. to give away that makes them that much better. Not, right. the, not what people are willing to give away. There are some interesting pieces out there as veterans who give you legitimate depth because I think that there's a difference between having talent and having depth. The Pelicans had some guys who have some talent, but they didn't really have depth. You need to go out with some veterans who you know exactly what they're going to give you every night. That's what you need. And so I would rather – the best teams – look, use the example of the teams we see winning right now. What is Miami built out of? You know, Miami built itself out of parts, out of parts, yeah. and they found their Jimmy Butler. But, you, again, you created a system where Jimmy Butler doesn't have to score 35 for you to win. You can win with Jimmy Butler scoring 22. You know, they can win a night with James. If Jimmy Butler tonight, you, you don't even expect him to score 30 tonight. Do you, do you expect him to come out and drop 30 tonight? No. You know. You can win with Jimmy. You can win with Jimmy scoring 18 or 20 and – 15 of it coming from the free throw line. Because Bam is going to score. Because Goran Dragic is going to score. Because Tyler Hero is going to score. Because all these other guys are going to get six, seven, 
eight in these little – and that's all you have to do. You build the team. And the Pelicans yep. have to get to that point where you have your, your core guys. If you're building this around Zion and Ingram, then every one of those other guys, I need to be able to know what I can count on them from every night. And the problem with the Pelicans has been, you don't know what you're going to get out of any player on that roster pretty much outside of what you got from Ingram on a night-to-night basis because even Zion was up and down. Outside of Ingram last year, absolutely. Who, who was consistent? on And Josh Hart pretty much, he had some rough games, but he's a bench performer and I give him more leeway. But as a starter, you only got an even year from Ingram. That's it. That's it. Everybody else. Drew took the first month of the season off, basically. He didn't yeah. play a good game in the first month. J.J. Reddick didn't come on and have decent nights until later on in the season. Lonzo didn't come on until so, the last yeah. 36. So it's like, you don't, you didn't get it. You don't have then a team. Disappeared that you altogether, and then disappeared altogether in the bubble. So, yeah, there is no level of – yeah. And that's, yeah. that is the barrier for this team, is finding people. It's not a talent accumulation contest. Building a team is not a talent accumulation contest. It's about finding the pieces that are going to work together. They all got to intertwine and connect and work for one accord on the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is a delicate mix. It is a – there's no real written-down formula for it. It's like the Coca-Cola formula. You don't even know if it actually exists. You've never seen it. <laughs> but that's what organization – So it works. So you let me go what to it is. You don't know – You know when you see it. Later, yeah. You know when you see it. So ESPN did, yeah. did a survey of like 30 executives and coaches – around the league and they came up with their list of the most important attributes for a coach. Cause they say, you know, they, there's all these factors they, that they take it. They still say, you know, organizational strength is important all these things, but specifically in a coach dealing with these, I'm going to go through this list and I'm gonna get your reaction to it. All right. And this is what we're going to wrap on. All right. So the first thing was play calling has never been less important. The head coach has to be great at listening demanding accountability and creating the message. That's the first thing they have on the list. What do you think of those points? Does it sound familiar to you? Coaching is important. Coaching. It's essential from a situational adjusting execution standpoint. Right. And that's really, I'm gonna leave it at. I mean, those are the three things why coaching is essential. Right. That's what, that's what they're saying. Listening, demanding accountability, and creating that message. Play calling in and of itself. The best coaches don't have a ton of plays. The best coaches don't have a ton of plays. They got right. situational plays. You don't plays. need a ton of plays. You got situational things. Here we got out of Yeah, out of timeout stuff. Do you execute? And we've, we've used that terminology. It's about your principles. It's not about being having to adhere rigidly to one set of rules. You have – life and sports are about audibles, the unexpected. And on a yep. basketball court, all it takes is that guy didn't do what I expect. Usually he goes under the screen. This time he went over. How do you adjust to that? You know what I mean? In that split second, how do you adjust to that? If you are expecting it and the thing that you were expecting doesn't happen and you're lost after that, 
that's a, that's a you problem. That ain't the coach's problem. That ain't the play's problem. That's on you as a basketball player. All right, let's get to the second. Right. Organizational skills. Because now the staffs are so big, the, play, the groups of players, all these things. If you don't know as a coach how to organize and set up your practices and all those things, it's more than just the X's and O's. Can you be – do you have exceptional organizational skills? What direction are we going in? What's the logistic plan? Uh, the level of, a, of awareness. Who are we? What are we trying to become? What phases do we improve upon certain things? Uh, when we fall off on phase two and go back to one, how do we skip two to get to three where we need to be at now at this time? Because we don't have time to go to two anymore and ramp up. So we need to be more aware, more direct, more in tune to exactly where are we going and what is our end goal and how do we get there? What's our directional path? Yeah, that, and they follow up with that with identifying what's really important. A coach has to be able to put out the nonsense, the things that don't matter, and focus on the things that do, not get caught up in all the extras. That is something that I right. don't think was a problem for Alvin here, I think the extras were all not around all. him. I think the extras were the things around him, not him getting caught up in them. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Let's yeah. Those extras were some things that were beyond his control. And his team has to find a way, the organization has to find a way to minimize those outside variables, and that's not something that they had done well in the past. We'll see going forward. The last one, the ability to work with medical and analytical personnel to understand when the medical staff is saying this guy can only practice on this day or when the analytical staff is saying this is the best things that we, you know, your analytical staff saying this is where these optimal, how do you deal with them to give them their due within the organization? They're getting paid to do their jobs, but ultimately process the information for yourself as the head coach. And I'm going to add one other caveat to that as well, not just with the medical, but adding the player in that realm as well. That's great. The front office wants this. The medical is saying that. Let me tell you what my body feels like and let me tell you what I need to do. If we are seriously committed to winning and that's what we're trying to do, me going out there for these last two minutes with the game time is not going to hurt us. Let me take responsibility of me and my body and the onus on me. I hear what you're saying, medical staff. I get it. But as a competitor, as an athlete, I need to also know that I have input on my body as well. Why are you telling me that these extra two minutes are going to hamper me. If they're going to hamper me right now, you know what? The next game that we're down by 20, pull me out of the game then. But for right here and right now, I need to have a say in what's going on with my career as well. Yes. Yes. Creating that <laughs> kind of environment where nobody should, in their profession, feel like they have no say in their career. And I think that yeah. was the most frustrating thing for Zion Williamson this year. I think that was frustrating for his – stepfather and 
I think that they are going to make it known that I can guarantee you this. They are not going to handle him the same way this year. And it may not be their choice no. in that, but they will not handle him this way, that way this year. He won't allow it either through his representation or through his father. They're going to make it known that it will not go down like that again. Cause I think they feel embarrassed. I think that the, that the Williamson family feels embarrassed about this rookie season. And that Zion became more of a source of controversy in the fact that the way this, the whole thing with his injury was handled, the way that, um, the, you know, the Pelicans got into the postseason and everybody said that it was manufactured so that Zion could have it. And then the way things went down in the postseason, then the rookie of the year vote and people talk about him as an embarrassment to get a first place vote. All those things, that's not why they left Duke. You know what I'm saying? They didn't come to the pros to get embarrassed. Now, all those things are not in Zion Williamson's control, and all those things weren't in Alvin Alvin Gentry's control. But in a world now where these athletes athletes understand, they understand their power, and Zion's power is you play me or I'm leaving. And if he says that, there's the Pelicans have no choice but to listen. That in lies the problem is the fact that I felt like they were making a decision. Griff and the medical staff were making a decision for him, whether he liked it or not, and he didn't have the impact. You know, Zion being the kid that he was, you pretty much know how the meeting went. Medical staff, well, you know Zion, you know, right now, given the circumstances of your injury and so on and so forth, you know, Zion was just like this. Well, okay, if y'all feel like that's the best route to go, because, yeah, I do want to have long-term career and success in this league and so on and so forth, as opposed to many other guys would be like, and I'm pretty sure he'll be like this next year, like, listen, I heard all that last year. I've had enough of that. I need to be on the court doing what I need to do to put us in a position where we are winning games. We can't talk about the business of winning if I'm not on the court putting ourselves in a position to win, and it's just that simple. And you have to teach a young player the difference, and it's it's an important difference for any professional athlete, the difference between being injured and being hurt. Because you're going to get hurt. Everybody's going to get hurt. The season is hurt. It's 82 games of hurt. But the first game in, yeah. of the season, you, you – the only time I, – I, I'll never forget this. The only time you're not injured and you're not hurt, or should I say you're not hurt, is in the offseason. Any other time, whether it's practice or whether it's games, everybody has a nagging something. Everybody. That's why you're so, wrapping, you're taping. It's, I mean, it's part of it. And you do it. He's got to learn if you don't teach him now. You know, you hold your bench accountable and go, listen, I need y'all to give me a good seven, eight, nine minutes where we don't lose the lead, we keep the lead, or we elevate the lead so that way I can get some rest so I can get back in here. But I need to hold y'all accountable. We can't give up the lead after we have an eight-point lead. Now all of a sudden I've got to work doubly harder and I've got to be in here longer now. It all has to blend. 
And he's got to get that point in his mind. And that comes from, you know, after you've been injured, the only way you get past that psychologically is by getting tapped, by falling down, by doing the normal things that you do over the course of a game. And if you're going to, if we're going to keep putting him in these kid gloves, he's not going to learn how to fall down and get back up. And that's part of sport. It's just, you, you got to learn how to fall. You're not going to learn. It's, 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 it's doing him a disservice. It is a disservice to this franchise organization and fan base as well. They, it's like when we were kids and we'd fall down. What's the first thing our dad say? Get, get up. up. You're all right. Shake it off. Get You're up. All right. Keep it walking. You're all right. Let's go. That's how you build that toughness. That's how you build learning how to deal with hurt and injuries. Listen, it may not be 99%, but I feel 90% and my 90% is good enough and better than their 100% to get us the wins. I'm playing. This ain't no discussion. I'm playing. Because to go from the elevated status of where he was at Duke, where he's always been, to drop off that significantly with no in-between, Dude, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, he he was universally beloved, and now there are questions. And that stuff can't go into next year. And it's on Zion in that regard that he better come in next year in perfect shape. He better look fantastic on day one when he arrives. And you know the only way to get rid of that mitigating mindset that – he is a disappointment or a failure right now is to be on that court playing. That is the only way to get rid of that stigma of he's a bust already early on. He's not going to make it long in this league because of his weight, because he's too explosive, because of this, that, and the third. And let me tell you, you know as well as I know, Zion is not the first most explosive jumper in the history of NBA basketball. People need to do their research. Zion is not the first. So it's ironic that the league continued in the bubble because people were handling Zion with bubble wrap. You just you, you just gotta let him it's it's to me it's different if it were a Greg Oden type situation where there was a serious knee injury, a serious knee injury that ended up costing him essentially his career. Mm-hmm. That's not this. If a meniscus is that bad, and I've had meniscus surgery. You probably had meniscus surgery. Right. If it's that bad, I mean, mine hurts me every now and then. And no, I'm not a world-class athlete, but I've been around enough athletes who've had meniscus surgery that I've never seen that kind of limitation put on somebody with meniscus surgery. Never in my life. Never in my life. Have I seen that? I mean, football running backs come back faster than that from meniscus. Yes. And they're being hit on that same knee. So something, it, so, it, just, it just feels like something this year, this whole year, it feels like there was some falsehood wrapped up in this season. It just doesn't feel authentic. And that's, that's where the criticism, I think, of David Griffin comes from is that that when we talked about it last time, that used car salesman vibe that you get sometimes, 
is that you don't know. I don't know how truthful they're being about what's going on over there. I don't know how truthful they're being about how all of this, this went down. So it's hard. They had to come in and be trustworthy. You know what I mean? That's what they had to do based on the relationship that the city had with Dell because it felt like Dell mm-hmm. never gave you any information. Well, now it feels like Griffin is giving you weird information. Yeah. Like you see him you all the from, time, but it's like... You go, from, you go from none to I don't know how to even take this. Like, I don't... I, I mean, I given... You're speaking in its communication. I just don't understand what it is. I don't trust it. I don't trust. And it's not to say that he's untrustworthy. I just don't trust the process of right. information being disseminated. I don't believe that. I have a hard time believing something that the Pelicans say at this point. When they talk about injuries or they talk about something, I have, a tr- I have trouble believing them because they're not the doing what they say. The, the first thing you do when you hear it, you question it immediately. Whether you have facts or not, something just doesn't feel right. Given the reply or the answer or response that you got, you're kind of like, you know, you're befuddled. You're like, like, like you're literally like, okay, but that doesn't gel to what you just said two days ago. Like, it, I'm, 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 I'm confused. Like, are you intentionally trying to get me off my thought process or something here, and then you come out later on with the third story, telling the truth, and you're like, okay, well, hold on. What was the again? The slick oil salesman. It's it's that's going to be the tale of this offseason for the Pelicans. Is do they build trust? Because we gave them that last offseason when Griffin came on, we gave them the trust. Mm-hmm. They didn't earn it this year. They, they did some good things. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say it's a loss for the – I think the year is a net is a net positive uh, from this past season. I think it, they won the Anthony Davis trade in my mind. They – you know, you found out that you had some pieces you could keep. Those things are good. But do I feel any more certain about the future of this franchise than I did a year ago? Nope. Nope, I can't say that I do. Because we have not seen enough of this concrete laid for this foundation. Not in one year. So if you ask me, am I a more confident Pelicans observer than I was 365 days ago? I say no. I say that to me, they, they, we've seen signs of life before. We've seen signs of life before. But until we see consistency, I don't believe anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh! That was a beautiful move by LeBron. Even you're not watching the game, you not got the game on right now as well. That was a beautiful move by LeBron. That's all. He's uh, he's got that series. It's over. It's over. Yeah, and you know, right now they are about to go up by 20. They've only allowed the Rockets to score 39 points right before halftime. So, like right before half, you all, with all your analytics and all your high-powered shooters that you have, and we're gonna open the floor up and just shoot from long range and shoot from long range, you only muster 39 points and a half? You're doing what the Lakers want you to do. If you're going to shoot threes against the Lakers, they are happy with that. Because if you're the Rockets, because they know you're a volume shooting three team and they're going to get the long boards and you can't stop those big bodies in transition. They can't stop LeBron in transition. 
They can't. They have nothing to stop him. You know what's starting to happen, and you can see it. Because you and I talk about body language all the time. Houston's body language and their facial reactions are one of disgust and frustration. So what are you looking at? You're looking at Westbrook, two for six. Harden, one for seven. They've already taken 13 threes in the first half. They're three for 13 on threes. 12 for 32 overall. So that means you're nine of 19 in the arc, inside the arc, which is just under 50%, which you should be higher than that. But you're having more success inside the arc. Come on in. How many free throw attempts do they have? How many free throw attempts for the Rockets? Harden gets 10. Ain't nobody else got more than four. Russ is two for four from the free throw line. So, again, <laughs> Harden, is, Harden is trying to do it himself. He's trying to yes. do it himself. You can't be one for seven from the floor. I don't care what your points per shot is because you got to the line. Your one for seven is damaging because what do those shots lead to? Runouts. Runouts, rebounds, transition, basketball. The Rockets don't have anybody rebounding the basketball. They don't and, have anybody getting boards. They have two. And quite frankly, um, and quite frankly, I'm extremely excited about it because now hopefully we can get back to playing the real game of basketball and all these analytics people who want to feel they're a part of and they know so much can go and have a seat somewhere, man. Man, but we look at the Lakers. What are they doing? AD ain't got but four shots, but he's getting to the line. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Get to the line. Finally. Finally. There are two things that are going to happen when I take advantage of my mismatch. Two things that's going to happen. I'm going to score easily on you, or I'm going to get fouled and go to the free throw line. That's it. That's it. And you know what AD is doing tonight? He's passing out of the double team. He's passing out of the double team, and he got three assists in the first half. So this is not a difficult game to understand, man. It's not. It's really not. Those who want to be important want to complicate it, something that's simple. This it, right here. It is both art and science. And that's what people have to remember. It is both art and science. N- neither one is greater than the other. But the, the thing other. you cannot control and that analytics cannot predict is humanity. Humans make mistakes. Humans get hot. Humans get in the zone. All those things are things you cannot predict. I can't predict with somebody going to just get in the zone. I can't. There are plenty of nights where it's like, where the hell did this guy come from? He's 7-9 and nine tonight. He ain't supposed to be scoring these buckets. You can't predict those things. It ultimately is played by players and you can give yourself the best advantage possible through numbers. You can try. But ultimately, I say this, the numbers are for analysis, not for prediction. That's my thought. Now, people disagree with me on that, but I think I would rather use the numbers for analysis rather than prediction and saying this is where you should be. I want to look at where we failed in conjunction exactly. with the numbers, not in isolation with the numbers. I like in the past for me when I've used – the numbers, I've used those numbers in post-game or in right. practice to validate 
my point of what is going to be more beneficial for us as a team. I'm not using these numbers to say, hey, listen, let's abandon this all together and let's just do that. No, it's more of to reiterate my points of getting my team to understand, guys, listen, or girls, listen, this is the way we need to do this in order for there to be our level of success in winning. This is how we make this happen. I use it's it to validate that. and to adjust. If, I've, yeah. if I'm saying when we do this on offense, it works. Because that's my job as a coach. I'm trying to reinforce my good habits. So when we do this, Absolutely. here's the stat that shows we are successful this amount of time. We do these things. But you yeah. also have to ask the why. And that's the part that the number does not give you. The number cannot give you the why. The why comes from film. The why comes from knowing the situation, knowing what play was called, knowing whose responsibilities were what. None of that is contained in the number. None of that. So when you, when you are numbers yes. dependent, you don't utilize them. Rather, you are dependent upon them. You are misusing them. Data is not, does not exist in a vacuum. You have to look at situations. <laughs> you have to look at who. You have to look at when. Exactly. My all man. those things matter. And not enough people pay attention to all of that. Half the group is box score watchers, and they look at a box score and say, yeah, 24 or 10. That's a great night. No. Then you got the other people. His plus minus, box plus minus is this tonight. No. You got to take it all within the scope of the game. And that data never accounts for, as you alluded to, who's going to be on tonight, what situations you're in, the adjustments that need to be made, the lack thereof, or the effectiveness of execution, what players are playing in that. All those factors play a role in understanding that. And analytics cannot give you, because at the end of the day, there is still this one thing that has to be done. This ball has to be tossed up, and we have to play the game, and it cannot account for the adjustments that we're going to have to make during the course of that game. Or the way the ball bounces, or the length of Kawhi Leonard's middle finger. Those are things you cannot exactly. find on a chart. Exactly. And, people, exactly. and I just want to make sure that it's clear to people. This is not a bashing of numbers. It is a discussion no. of how to utilize them as a tool. Any tool used improperly is not a good tool. Working in concert, but one cannot supersede the other. That's like us realizing or, 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 or not having the, the same way the numbers can work for our advantage or the exact same way we can tell one individual there's a reason why I'm telling you to not shoot three points. Look at it. You want data? You want analytics? Well, here's your analytics right here. And this is where you're most effective. So you can keep doing that, and it's not going to benefit you because you're not going to play, let alone benefit us. And then that's something you use that for the off season when you're supposed to get better. I take yes, those things and I say, this is where your game is not working. And you tell that player, now, not only do you continue to work on the skills you are good at, 
but I want to see you work on these as well because I want what? And we'll end on this, a well-rounded basketball player. I don't want a 3 and D guy. I don't <laughs> want a just a defender. I don't want – I want basketball, basketball players. Guy. And that's what Miami has. And that's what Toronto has. And that's what, that's what the, the Clippers, Clippers have. have. Basketball players. Guys that if you drop them on any park – in this country, and you said just go play ball, they're going to be able to play. They're going to be able to – and not play in a playground way. They're going to be able to organize themselves because they understand themselves as players. They are mature enough to understand both their limitations and their exceptionalities. And when you get to that level as a basketball player and as a team, that's when you win championships. Yes, sir. Bruh. We killed it again. Great show as always, my man. Always. I'm going to be chopping this one up and get it out to the people. Tell them how they can follow you. Because of early on, my Wi Fi technical situations that I had. So I made my job a little. But hey, Dave, you know what? The analytics should have prepared us for this. <laughs> <laughs> Man, tell them how they can follow you on social media, and let's get on out of here. Dino Hoops 11 on Twitter and Instagram. Dino, D-I-N-O, Hoops, the number 11 on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. Dino, D-I-N-E-A-U-X, the Dean Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N. My brother, always appreciate you, man. Look forward to these Thursdays where we go high-low in hard on the paint, my brother. Absolutely, man. So for Dino, the Gene Hansen, I am David Grubb. Make sure you follow me at DM Grubb or visit my website, HITPwithDG.com. This has been another episode of Hard to Paint. Y'all see y'all soon. Hard to paint.